Welcome to Queer Writers of Crime. This is the monthly episode where authors recommend authors. And in this show, Anne Apteker and David Domenier will suggest books that they think you should read. And then I'm going to wrap up the show with a recommendation by an author who I have talked a lot about on this show. And he was my greatest inspiration to be a crime writer. So listen in and maybe we'll help you decide what to read next. It's time to put on your sleuthing cap, feel nail-biting dread, and face heart-racing fear. This is Queer Writers of Crime, where you'll get book recommendations and hear interviews with LGBTQ authors of mystery, suspense, and thriller novels. Here's your host, Brad Shreve. Okay, this is another Authors on Authors episode where I have guests that have been on the show give book recommendations. And Ann Apteker was the first person I interviewed this month. So she gets to be the first person to do a book recommendation. I always like it when I have no clue what they're going to talk about. They don't tell me. And this is one of the cases. Sometimes they email me and I'm like, why did they tell me? I have no idea what Ann's going to talk about. I'm sure it's great. Who and what is it, Ann? Well, actually, there's four of them. Okay. Two classics and two LGBT contemporary mysteries. I'm talking about four books, okay? So let's begin with the classics. Okay. And you have to start, of course, with The Talented Mr. Ripley, which I'm sure a number of your listeners have read, but it's one of my all-time favorite books, and so I have to give it a little a little chat here. I mean, really, Tom Ripley is the murderer that you love. He is utterly without conscience, but what he lacks in morals, and this is why I love him, what he lacks in morals, he makes up for in wit and in heart. Now, what I mean by heart is that he loves life. He has a real zest for life as long as it's his own. Other people's lives are there for his benefit, or they won't be there. Their lives won't be there at all. (laughs) In The Talented Mr. Ripley, Tom is the ultimate striver. He murders to get ahead in life, to raise himself from his lowly station uh, into a higher one. Uh, And the homosexual elements, the homosexual overtones are unavoidable. Uh, Much, of course, has been written about how much of the author, Patricia Highsmith, how much of Highsmith's lesbianism, which was very aggressively lived, but publicly denied. So the question is, how much of her lesbianism is actually in the homoerotic elements of Tom Ripley? The sexual tension in the Ripley books really gives them this added zing. The next classic is not an LGBT book. Actually, I have a question for I have a question for you. Even people that haven't read the book, they're familiar with the movie, but it's a series, right? Yeah, there are four. Four, okay. Five Tom Ripley books. I've forgotten how many, but they're all brilliant. Okay. The film is rather different. Yeah. Than the book. That's not unusual. Yeah, but this but this time it's really different. <laughs> really quite like. Anyway, so on to the next classic, which is not an LGBT book. But if you're going to discuss crime and mystery fiction, you gotta talk about James M. Cain's Double Indemnity. I mean, what can you say about a masterpiece? Uh. James Cain's novella travels all the way to the first, furthest fringes of, of emotion, of desperation, of hubris and greed. And it does it all in a story very tightly told. So tightly, in fact, that the last sentence of the book is a mere two words the moon. Those are the last two words of the book. 
So you'd better be a brilliant writer to pull off a two-word ending. <laughs> and James Cain is surely among the most brilliant authors in American letters of crime fiction or any other fiction. So now it's on to two contemporary LGBTQ mystery writers. You, one is the incomparable Anne McMahon, Galileo. I love, I love all of her books, but Galileo is something very special. Anne McMahon is one of the most elegant writers around. Even here in Galileo, where she tackles a highly sensitive and disturbing subject, McMahon handles it with a literary elegance and grace that you don't often find in crime and mystery fiction. But in doing so, Anne doesn't stint on the emotion. Her lead character, Evan Reed, who's a political operative, Evan Reed faces not only personal danger, but also emotional danger brought by the horrendous nature of the case she's trying to untangle. And also there's emotional danger in the presence of a woman in her life whose family may be connected to this awful case. Bring all of this together with an infusion of the darker side of religion, and you've got a really rich tapestry of a story. So I recommend Anne McMahon's Galileo. And before you go on, I got to tell people something. If you didn't hear episode number 131, you will hear my book recommendation, which just happens to be Anne McMahon's latest book, oh, good. Dead Letters from Paradise. I'm with Anne here. Right. I'm a big Very Anne McMahon I'm happy fan. to hear that because she's, uh, she's brilliant. And my last recommendation is not one book, but it's a series. It's Greg Heron's Scotty Bradley series. Uh, I'm really a fan of, of Greg's Scotty Bradley mysteries. Each one is set in Greg's hometown of New Orleans. I couldn't select just one for this list of recommendations. They're just all entirely too delicious to pick just one. So I'm recommending the entire series. Mm -hmm. Scotty Bradley is a private eye. And through him, we're treated to everything that is yummy and succulent and humid and dangerous and colorful and gritty about New Orleans. Uh, and as a gay man, Scotty's investigations certainly take some interesting turns and navigate interesting relationships, his own notwithstanding. Uh, Heron's writing is, of course, first rate. His mastery of language gives us the full flavor of Scotty's gayness and his life in New Orleans. As we hear in the opening sentence, the opening lines, actually, uh, of Garden District Gothic, which is the seventh in the series. And let me, I'm so taken with this opening that I'm going to read it to you. It says, a New Orleans summer is like a gay man, ripe, hotly passionate, but fickle. He comes and goes as he pleases, leaving behind damp sheets, sweaty skin, and clothes that are soaked through. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, if that's not fine writing, I don't know what the hell is. That's really just brilliant. So those are my recommendations for books everybody should run out and read. People should read all of them. If you like crime and mystery fiction, you really got to read Double Indemnity, Double Indemnity, especially if you're an author. It will take you to school on how to do it. Good advice. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Anne. David Domenier, you were on the show to talk about your book, A Dark Room in Glitterball City, but now you're going to tell a book that you would like to recommend. What are you going to talk about today? 
Uh, so a book that has stuck with me in the last half year or so is one that's getting a lot of um, good reviews. Some people are criticizing it because it definitely has a political bent, you could say. But it's called Groundskeeping by Lee Cole. And uh, he's a Kentucky writer. And, you know, I love reading other things by other Kentucky writers. And so it's set in Louisville to be able to earn money to take some writing classes at the university. He works in the groundskeeping crew at the university where he studies. And so he's an aspiring writer. While he's there, he meets an established writer who is there on a fellowship. And she's from a different culture. And so a romance between the two ensues. There's kind of a rivalry between them in, you know, their writing. The family he comes from would be kind of a, a rural Kentucky family. And so we get the urban, the rural conflict, you know, the conservative, liberal kind of um, pushback, kind of the silly world of academia and things like that. And uh, there's, it's a family story as well, um, because one of his family members uh, is very close to him. It's not true crime. Uh, some people think it's kind of slow reading, but I like that kind of reading sometimes. So I would definitely recommend Groundskeeping by Lee Cole. If you want to get a taste for modern-day Kentucky and uh, modern-day Louisville, I think it's a good read. And if you haven't heard David's episode, go listen to it. He is very passionate about Louisville. So it's no surprise that the book that you would choose would be about Louisville. And it's also funny to me that you said people were not thrilled with the book because it had a political slant in it. Everything has a slant in it. Exactly. You know, people want unbiased news. And okay, we have two extremes. We know MS, MSNBC is liberal and we know Fox is conservative. But everybody's looking for that unbiased news. And it doesn't exist because doesn't. even choosing what is going to be news on the air is biased. Would you agree? Exactly. But this book comments on the political atmosphere in the United States today and Donald Trump, or at least the supporters of Donald Trump, kind of play into his narrative. And I think that's where the, the political irritation gets some people. Well, there's plenty to talk about political climate today and certainly the other guy that used to be in office. So, <laughs> Correct. Well, thank you. Thank you again. Okay, this is the second month in a row that I am doing a book recommendation. And Philip Barr, I am so glad you are here with me to do this. Thank you, Brad. So happy to be your co-host for this. <laughs> you know, last month I did a book recommendation and I did it all by myself and it was weird and lonely. And I thought, I have nobody to bounce off of. So really glad you're here. Thanks. Now, you know, I t when guests are on the show and I tell them that they're going to do a book recommendation, I, I get several questions. One is, do I have to do just one? Can I do more? One I frequently get, does it have to be a queer writer? And also, does it have to, have to be a mystery? And I always tell them for the guest book recommendation, it doesn't have to be any of those. Yeah. So the book I'm going to recommend today is a mystery, but it is not by a queer author, nor does it have a queer protagonist. It's not comprised to anybody that's listened to this show before because I've mentioned his name. I think the last I counted it was 10,032 times. <laughs> <laughs> it is Lawrence Block. Oh, he not only is my favorite mystery writer, without a doubt, the greatest inspiration for me to be a mystery writer as well. Are you familiar with him? I am. Yeah. But I want to know, I want to ask you, like, what is it about his writing that makes uh, him your, your favorite? 
I like the fact that he can do different types of styles and do them very well. Okay. The Burglar series, my favorite series, is funny. It never ceases to keep me from laughing. And, you know, I really like character and I really like dialogue. That really, I, I can get lost in a conversation and he really makes that easy to do. And it's fun conversation. Mm-hmm. So he can take the ludicrous and make it real, make it real. Wow. It's whimsical. It's fun. And then he, he has the Matthew Scudder series, which is dark and brooding. It's, he's just an incredibly talented man. I worship the ground he walks on. <laughs> I may email him that and tell him that. So what are you going to talk to us about today? The reason I want to bring him up is I'm shocked because when I mention his name, most people aren't like you. I mentioned Lawrence Block and I get blank stares. The man has published over 100 books and likely more short stories for that. And I'm going to go over his resume. Lawrence Block is a Grand Master of Mystery Writers of America. He won the Edgar Awards four times. Wow. Seamus four times. He received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Private Eye Writers of America and the Diamond Dagger for Life Achievement from Crime Writers Association in the UK. I think he's won awards in Japan and some other countries outside the US and the UK. He has also served as the past president of the Mr. Writers of America and the Private Eye Writers of America. Mr. Writers know this guy. But so many others don't, mm. and, and I, I don't know why. And not, not every Mr. Writer has, has heard of him. I'm always shocked. I'm going to talk a little bit about the man himself first. Lawrence got started in the late 1950s the way a lot of authors back then did to survive. He wrote soft porn pulp fiction. And I counted, I looked back, and I counted at least 10 different pen names that he wrote under during that time period. Put food on his table. He's written five series, and three of them I've read, and I'm only going to talk about two. The one he's known most for is the Matthew Scudder series, and there are 21 novels in that series. And this is the one that's dark and brooding that I mentioned. Scudder, he's an ex-cop. He's an alcoholic. He left his family. He lives in Hell's Kitchen. This all sounds very stereotypical, and it is, but Block carries it out just fine. You're not sitting here thinking, oh, here's another stereotype in any way, shape, or form. He works as an unlicensed PI. He doesn't have a, a license. There is nothing witty about the series. It's dark and it's gripping. There have been two movies made from his uh, Scudder series. One starred Jeff Bridges mm. and the other starred Liam Neeson. He's a lot like Richard Stevenson. He didn't like either of those and neither did very well. <laughs> but I'm going to really talk about the Bernie Rodenbar Burglar series, which is my absolute favorite. I'm going to talk about my favorite one from the series, or at least one of my favorites. Bernie, he is a burglar. As I said, he tries to earn an honest living from his Greenwich Village bookstore, but he he loves the thrill of being a burglar. So he can't stop. And in all 11 of his novels, his life of nonviolent crimes have led him to have to prove himself that he didn't commit a murder. Because mm. usually... In his line of work, snooping in somebody's place, he finds a dead body. It is much lighter than the Matthew Scudder, as I said, sarcasm, and he has sharp wit. It will make you laugh out loud at times. Uh, He has no girlfriend, but he does have sex with a woman, at least one woman in every novel. Now, there was one movie based on the Burglar series. It came out in 1987, and it was called Burglar. Oh, the Whoopi Goldberg? Yes. And that's why I'm going to br- I'm bringing it up for a reason. Okay. Bruce Willis was the top pick for the film. It was right after Die Hard. He was still doing uh, Moonlighting. He eventually, though, turned it down. And Lawrence Block said he doesn't know why Bruce Willis turned it down, but it's probably because Bruce read the script. Mm. We're getting to what he thinks and I think of this movie. So when Bruce Willis turned it down, Whoopi Goldberg jumped up and said, I'll do this film. And so Bernie the Burglar came, be- Bernice the Burglar. While Block did not like the Scudder movies... 
On his website, he says, I quote, burglar was a travesty. (laughs) (laughs) Now, to Whoopi's credit, he says she is a bright spot in film, but she could only work with what they had given her. The reason I'm bringing this up is if anybody has watched this movie and you heard there's a connection between this and his books, please wipe it from your brain. (laughs) I sat in horror as I watched this film and could not believe it. Also, Bernie's best friend, Carolyn, is a lesbian, and she has a dog grooming place. And in the movie, they changed to Carl, the dog groomer, and it's played by Bobcat Goldthwait. Let's just say Lawrence Block wasn't all too thrilled with Bobcat, (laughs) to say the least, either. He let that be known as well. So I recommend the entire series, hands down. But one of my favorites is the sixth book in the series. It's called The Burglar Who Traded Ted Williams. And for those that don't know, Ted Williams was a baseball player during the 40s and the 50s. And no, he's not in the novel, but baseball cards may have something to do with the storyline. So in this novel, his bookstore is finally starting to make a little money. Not not a whole lot, a little bit. It's been over a year since his last burglary. He's actually considering labeling himself officially retired from a life of crime. Mm. But he still has that itch, but he has it under control. Now, if he was successful at this, it would be a very short and boring story. So we know we can't allow that to happen. <laughs> so, so what happens? I don't know the rent control rules in New York City, but suddenly Bernie's landlord on the bookstore has legal right and threatens to increase Bernie's rent by 1,000%. Yeah. And Bernie, well, a guy's got to do what a guy's got to do and make a living. Now, luckily for Bernie, or so at least it seems lucky, he comes across information about a wealthy couple that are out of town. And that leaves their apartment easy pickings, and it was. Bernie slipped in, calmly helped himself to some cash, some jewelry, some other items around the apartment, and he could have easily left. He's an expert at locks. He's about to leave, and curiosity killed the cat. Because the whole time he was there, it was driving him crazy as to why does this empty apartment have a bathroom door that's locked from the inside? Mm. It drove him crazy enough that he had to pick the lock. And I'm going to let you guess. When he picked the lock and opened that bathroom door, what was in the bathtub? A body. Oh, my God. You're a genius. (laughs) (laughs) And what Bernie says, he says, that's where he was. And that's where I found him. Naked as the truth and dead as a pet rock with a little round hole right in the middle of his forehead. You're not here, I told the dead guy. You're a figment of an overactive imagination, stressed beyond endurance by a rough day and a snoot full of scotch and a nothing little deadbolt that took forever to open. You don't exist, and I'm going to close my eyes, and when I open them up, you'll be gone. It didn't work. (laughs) Now, Bernie being smart, when he finds the body, he goes back through the apartment and puts everything back. Well, not the cash, because that's hard to trace. But he puts everything else back, the jewelry and everything else. He cleans it to show there was no sign that he was ever there. He leaves. Everything's free and clear, and life is good. Until the next morning, Bernie is arrested for breaking into an apartment and stealing a baseball card collection that was worth over half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Problem is, Bernie's only alibi is he was in the other apartment where there happened to have been a dead body. <laughs> so how did he get out of this robbery when he's pretty much framed without telling that he was robbing another place <laughs> where there was a body that once again, he'll probably be accused of killing the person. And that's how the story begins. Typical of Bernie, there's a lot of laughs through this. There's a lot of chaotic, witty characters. 
it does come to its very satisfying ending. Because Bernie owns a bookstore, Bibliophiles will get plenty of chuckles from this book as well as his other books because of his frequent sarcastic comments about books and authors. An example, there's a conversation with his best friend Carolyn about the victim, and Bernie says, there was something vaguely familiar about him, but I couldn't tell you what it was. And Carolyn asked, what did he look like? Mostly he looked naked and dead. And Carolyn's response was, well, that explains it. You must recognize him from a Norman Mailer novel. He has a special fun making fun at the expense of other mystery writers. There's a running gag in this novel with Carolyn. They argue about Kinsey Millhorn, the protagonist uh, from Block's late friend Sue Grafton from the Alphabet Mystery Series. Mm -hmm. Bernie refers to that notorious dyke Kinsey Millhorn. And so his and Carolyn, their debate begins over whether Kinsey is a lesbian or not, with Bernie providing as much evidence as he can as to why obviously she must be. And I will say Carolyn is a lesbian and she's discounting everything he says. <laughs> so that's a lot of fun. They also make satirical references to novels in which cats solve murders. And it made me think of Michael Kraft's Delicious Mr. Puss Mysteries. So th he has a lot of fun with literary works and authors and that sort of thing. So uh, there's a lot of laughs that people that don't read books probably won't get. There are people that won't like this series. And I'm going to tell you who won't. Those that don't like formulaic series may not be real thrilled. But I want to stress, it is formulaic, but it's nothing like the dull, repetitious Stephanie Plum series that Janet Ivanovich writes. Nothing like that at all. But it does have a standard framework, which is Bernie burgles. Somehow he gets wrapped up in a mystery and the mystery of whodunit. He's confronted by a crooked police detective who's named Ray Kirschman, who's more than happy to get money from Bernie when, when he needs it. He interacts with a cast of fun and interesting characters and then the novels always end with all the suspects together in a room while Bernie breaks down events and points out the culprit. It would be a tired cliche by another author, but it is absurd and Block makes it fun. Not everybody could get away with that. Right, right. Now, if you read reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, you'll see comment after comment on what I just said. People say that there is a similar storyline in each novel, but almost all of those will say the same thing I do. You don't give a damn. It's just great fun. And worth reading anyway. You also won't enjoy it, as I said earlier, if you like a lot of dialogue. My novels tend to be filled with a lot of dialogue, and I get reviews where people say they love it for that reason. I have people that say they hate it for that reason. It's all a matter of preference. But I can assure you, none of the dialogue in any of the Bernie books is dull. And many of his conversations are absolutely priceless. Sometimes they're with a series regular. Sometimes it may be a, two pages of a customer that walked into the store. But they're always great. And finally, what many will find the series' biggest flaw, and this is a big one for some, when finished, the reader may stop and say, how in the hell could I have ever figured that complicated mess out? <laughs> and you know what? They'd be right. <laughs> I'm not going to say that Block doesn't play fair, but if you solve the crime before Bernie, it's probably because you took a good guess. <laughs> they are pretty complicated and convoluted, and there are a whole lot of circumstances that make it up. So yes, it has its flaws, but I always enjoy sitting down with Bernie and friends. He always makes me smile. He always makes me laugh. I had to go back and read this book again for this recommendation, and I was so happy that I did because I really enjoy it. But if this silliness isn't your cup of tea, and I know it's not everybody, then I do recommend the darker Matthew Scudder series. It is brilliantly written. And I said the fact that this man can write two vastly different styles so well is one of the primary reasons Lawrence Block earns my respect. So, Brad, you said he's 84. Is that right? 
That is correct. So when did he write this series about approximately, uh, was it recently or like back in the 90s or when, do you know? Actually, he has a book coming out in November. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. That's so great. Yep. In fact, in fact, let me give you a side note here. We are recording episode number 138. So we're approaching this podcast third anniversary. And out of those 138 episodes, Lawrence Block is the only author to turn down an interview with me. <laughs> and, and let me explain how it went. He is straight. And I told him it's a podcast about queer authors, but it's my show and I love him and I do as I please. Right. He responded the next day and he was very witty and very kind. He said, I'd never let my heterosexuality get in the way of my being your guest, <laughs> but I stopped doing interviews years ago. Oh, interesting. I am still crushed. And don't think I'm not still working on this. But anyway... <laughs> To end on a positive note, even though I did not get him as a guest, his 12th burglar novel, as I said, comes out in October. I was sent an advanced copy. Mm. And I just want people to ask themselves again, why does Brad do this podcast? <laughs> One of the many reasons why. It's that, so I highly recommend it. Go ahead. The way that you framed everything, it just, to me, it sounds like so much fun. And, you know, it's funny because you talked about sort of, I don't know if you used the word convoluted, but you said how the... Uh, if you figure out the murder, you know, you, it's probably was a good guess or something. I'm one of those strange mystery readers that I don't ever try to solve the puzzle. I just like, I'm there for the ride. And if I, if I somehow figure it out, it's fine, but it's kind of secondary. What I really love is I just enjoy the journey with, with mystery writers and I, with mystery books. And I love, you know, you also talked a little bit about formula, formulaic um, writing and things. And I just, I find when I find a series that I love, I just, if it's a formula, I love the formula because I know what I'm going to get every time. And it's really satisfying and I don't have to be worried that I'm going to be taken down some dark path where things are really evil and, you know, and I have to sort of close my eyes while I'm reading. So, And writers run into that. They think, you know, people say they want to change. Okay, I'll do a little change. And then they get all this blowback because people are like, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. And, and really, if you think about it, Bernie is more ridiculous than Jessica Fletcher because she was at different events. Bernie is stumbling on a body every time he's burglaring. I mean, how, how likely is that to happen? <laughs> the whole premise is absurd to begin with. And you did say convoluted. And actually, that is a very good word. It's, it is convoluted at times. Some people would find that frustrating. I, I, to me, I don't care. Yeah, that's great. I don't care at all. We love our authors because we love our authors sometimes, you know, just the way it is. It's great. Well, thank you for joining me this month. Thank you for having me. It was great. If you enjoy Queer Writers of Crime, let others know with a review. It helps build an audience and introduce more people to queer crime fiction. Apple and iTunes are where most people search for new shows. But if you don't use either, other apps that allow reviews include Podcast Addict, Overcast, and Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, help spread the word to tune in to Queer Writers of Crime. Queer Writers of Crime.